Hi, this is Debbie Taylor Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. Hi, welcome to 1 Peter 4. I'm Debbie Taylor Williams. Today we are looking at Peter's words to us that for the rest of the time we have, that we live for the will of God. Think about that. The rest of the time. In other words, maybe we haven't always lived for God's will. We've lived for our will. Unfortunately, that is all too true of me. Even when serving the Lord, there have been times where my heart has strayed, my mind opened to Satan's lies. I thought, said, and did things that weren't God's will. Can you relate? Of course, we will never be perfect in this lifetime, but our goal should be to live the rest of our lives for the will of God. Peter makes this point at the beginning of chapter 4 in verse 2. In the middle of the chapter, verse 6, and he repeats it again at the end of the chapter, verse 19. Live the rest of your life for the will of God, even if it means suffering. Entrust yourself to Him, His will. Easier said than done. Would you agree? Say it with me. Live the rest of my life for the will of God. If you, like me, have not always lived for the will of God, then today is the beginning of overs for you. Praise the God of mercy and grace. He gives us overs. He shows us His goodness and glory. And as we look on our Lord in the joy and freedom in the Spirit He offers, we want it more than the sin and the selfishness in our lives. This recently came home to me when our lab puppy, Katie, found a fly swatter with a wire handle tore the plastic from it, and began running through the house with a sharp wire in her mouth. When I reached for it, she ran. It was obviously a game to her. It wasn't a game to me. I knew she could injure her mouth with the sharp prongs. Knowing Katie wouldn't drop the wire unless I offered her a treat, I held one out before her. As expected, she dropped the wire so she could take the treat. Too often, I've been like Katie. I've held on to habits that were not the healthiest, wisest, or best in keeping with God's will. Can you relate? Rather than God grab those from us, however, He waits for us to drop them at His feet so we can take from His hand that which is far more delightful the glory He has to offer in our relationship with Him, and obedience. Today, as in the other chapters of 1 Peter, we are focusing on what we can learn from God's Word that we can adopt and practice in our life. Our goal is to learn God's Word and live God's Word, to know it and to, you've got it, show it. In our show, don't tell me, society, when people see the changes Christ makes in our life, it makes Him appealing, so they too will want to drop sin and receive Him. As we read 1 Peter 4, consider the following points we are to learn and live. We are to know and show others. 
We find our first point in verses 1 and 2, where we are told to live for the will of God by arming ourselves to suffer in the flesh to cease from sin. Verse 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh or in our bodies, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We continue to see this contrast between the lust of the flesh and the will of God. Here we see we are to follow Christ's example. Jesus was heavily armed when Satan tempted him. He had a weaponry of scripture of truth so he could shoot down every one of Satan's lies. This verse tells us we are to be armed with scripture and willing to suffer in the flesh rather than give into our flesh in order that we cease from sin. The principle is that the dominion of sin in our lives is broken when we arm ourselves with scripture and suffer through a time of temptation rather than give into it. A well-kept secret in our culture. Our culture says that we shouldn't deny ourselves anything, but the Word teaches it's okay and even beneficial to not give into everything we want, hunger for, thirst for, want to think about. There's a warning here. Being like my dog Katie, mindlessly running around with sin in our life is dangerous. God's will is that we drop our sin at Christ's feet and take from Him the Word so we are armed to stand against temptation. Think about this principle, these, this teaching in relation to credit card bills that can't be paid, food we eat that causes health problems, alcohol and drug addictions that ruin lives, addictions to things like pornography that ruin lives and marriages and so much more. All are proof we don't want to live for the will of God. We haven't been willing to suffer in the flesh. We haven't done the work of arming ourselves with scripture. We live for ourselves. But if we want to be examples of freedom in Christ, if we want to fulfill our calling as his priest on earth, pointing people to Jesus, if we want to authentically speak of God's victorious power, we have to be able to speak from genuine experience, from our heart, in order to help our family member or a neighbor. There's a warning. These warnings are woven with these principles. Not living for the will of God not only affects you, it affects others. So we look and we want to apply this and we ask ourselves, when was the last time you denied yourself something you wanted to eat, drink, buy, say, do? Not something you could easily pass up, but something ingrained in your lifestyle or sin nature or body that you wanted. When did you last truly deny yourself and only be able to do that through the scriptures you were armed with? Will you drop? at Christ's feet that which 
he is saying is not to be a part of your life. Will you suffer through temptation as Christ did? Our second point is found in verses 3 through 5. They tell us to live for the will of God by not running with people in the same excesses of dissipation. That means waste. The scripture says, For the time already is past sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is able to judge and ready to judge the living and the dead. Let's look closely at these verses that Peter's written to us. They're instructive for us. They tell us that we need to be prepared to lose some friends when we no longer do what they do. Have you experienced this? Did your old social group once consist of lots of drinking parties and maybe running around a little? When you became a Christian and were convicted that wasn't God's will for you, did you lose some friends? We see we are called to live for the will of God, not others, even if it does mean losing some friends. Our third point about living for the will of God is found in verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. We're seeing this word sober again, not in reference to alcohol, but in relation to being circumspect and thinking things through and prayerful. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. In this verse, Peter points out that we can live for the will of God by choosing to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. What does that mean? <laughs> In order to live for the will of God, we must have good judgment. Would you agree? We must have the mind of Christ. I applaud you. That's what you're doing in this study. Sober spirit, as we've already talked about the word sober before in Peter's writings here, means to be calm and collected in spirit, dispassionate circumspect. It means we think things over, we pray about them rather than react. Perhaps this is the first time you've read that rather than get riled up by the news or when you hear bad things, you are sober in spirit, you're collected, dispassionate circumspect. You think things through. You pray over them. God's teaching is in the Bible, so we learn from it and live it, so we know it and show it. How might this be positive for you? Would anyone notice if instead of jumping on the bandwagon and going on a rant about our culture or politics, you were more circumspect? You suggested praying for those in authority over us and decisions. Might your prayers have a good influence on people? The verse implies here an urgency for us to live for the will of God because Peter writes, the time is near, the end is near. This is called the doctrine of imminency. The doctrine of imminency that Christ can appear at any moment. There is nothing that must be fulfilled in the prophetic calendar before the return of Christ. All the more reason for us to live for his will. He could appear any moment. 
A fourth way we are told that we can live for the will of God is found in verse 8, and it tells us to keep fervent in love for one another. Have you already heard that in our study? Yes, it's important. To keep fervent in this passage means stretched out. You're in it for the long haul. This calls for something beyond ourselves. You may have a spouse, child, family member, church member, neighbor, or child that is not easy to love. You may be thinking about divorce. How is it possible for you to love for the long haul, to keep fervent in your love? Only through Christ within. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this will men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love, not wearing a cross, is the identifying mark of a Christian. This is so important for us to hear for us to learn, for us to live. When we realize that we are short on love for someone, we can pray, Lord of love, fill me with your love. Pour your love through me for this person. Now, fifth way we can live for the will of God for the rest of our lives is found in verse 9, and it's an interesting one. Peter says that we are to be hospitable to one another without complaining. It's our Lord's will that we are hospitable. And as with love, in sincerity, not complaining under our breath. The word hospitable in the Greek means generous to guests. Let me ask you, do you welcome people into your home? Do you offer them something to drink or eat or a spare bedroom? Is your generosity sincere and from your heart? I have a friend, Debbie, who generously opens her guest house to people. When we had an ice storm, our adult children, as well as a neighbor, invited us to stay with them until our electricity came on. When there is a flood, electrical out outages, are you willing to be inconvenienced and put your comfort aside to help others? Do you invite people into your home to share a meal? Verse 10 through 11 gives us yet another way that we can live for the will of God. It tells us, put your special gift to use. Put it to work in serving one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. We are reminded of God's grace toward us, and then we are told, use the gift. Use the gift. Put it to work. That gift he has given you and me is not to sit idly in our heart or our spirits. He says, put it to work. Put it to work. Speak by the utterances of God. Serve by the strength God supplies. So that in all things, the scripture says, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Are you living for the will of God by using your special gift, your spiritual gift in the body of Christ? by speaking as He leads you, by serving in His strength so that God is glorified. In verse 12 through 19, we see additional ways we can live for the will of God. Don't you love this? These are so practical. Listen as I read these verses. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you, for the testing, for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on 
rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Again, speaking of Christ's return. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. It means the spirit of glory and God rests on you. You are identifiable as Christ. Verse 15, make sure none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Ooh, are there any troublesome meddlers in your family or church? Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in his name. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, oh, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. These are all so important. Do you agree? Our seventh way that we can live for the will of God is by then rejoicing as we go through these fiery ordeals for our faith, keeping our eyes on Christ's imminent return. Let me ask you, are you in a fiery ordeal as a member of your family? This is important because fiery ordeals are increasing as lawlessness increases, as Satan is emboldened, as people do whatever is right in their own eyes. How could someone going through a fiery ordeal possibly rejoice? What do we need to know about fiery ordeals in order to live for the will of God as we go through them in our culture? One, Peter tells us they are part of life, so don't be surprised by them. In my years of ministry, I've seen many Christians who are down, depressed, and disillusioned because they assume because they are Christian and prayerful that God will put them in a spiritual bubble wrap and keep them from any of the effects of living in a fallen world. That simply is not true. The Lord does protect us from many of sin's effects when we walk in obedience to His will. But we are still in this world, and as a result of our fallen world, we will experience fiery ordeals. We are not immune. The good news is God is rescuing us out of this broken world, friends. That is what heaven is. The second point we see is that fiery ordeals are a test of our faith. This, although it seems bad, is not as bad as we might think because he says the suffering is for a season. It's going to end. And fourth, we can rejoice because Christ is with us in the fire, strengthening us as we go through it. How can we rejoice? What good does that do? Oh, Please don't miss this. It shows the unbelieving world that our eyes on the living Christ who is returning. We cannot miss that opportunity. It doesn't mean that we laugh in fiery ordeals. It means we have a deep-seated joy. How can we live by and rejoice in our suffering? We live knowing 
that He has a plan and a purpose in whatever we're going through. Now, our ninth point is we live for the will of God by suffering according to Christ's name. In other words, we stand up for Jesus. We stand up for His Word. And tenth, we live for the will of God by entrusting our soul to our faithful Creator, doing what is right. Verse 19. In conclusion, we see that Peter has said in chapter 1, we are to obey and be holy. In chapter 2, he said we are to long for the pure milk of the Word and grow in our salvation. In chapter 3, he said we are to live in a godly way with one another in our marriages and civil life and in relation to authorities. In chapter 4, he tells us we are to live for the will of God. To what might you be holding, like Katie, that is dangerous and disadvantageous to your relationship with the Lord and your usefulness to Him as a Christian? Would you drop it so you can live the rest of your life for the will of God? Is it God's purpose for you to arm yourself so that you stop sinning? Is it God's will that you stop running with people in the same excess of dissipation, even though they malign you? Is it, God, is it God's will for you that you share the good news, the gospel with people, so when they die, they live in the Spirit? Is it, God, is it God's will for you that you have sound judgment and a sober spirit, that you pray instead of get riled up and fretful? Is it God's will that you keep fervent in your love for others? Is it God's will that you become more hospitable without complaining? Is it God's will that you put your special gift, your spiritual gift to work in serving others, in serving Christ? Is it God's will that you keep rejoicing as you go through fiery ordeals that test your faith? Is it God's will that you glorify God when you're criticized in an insulting manner for your Christian convictions? Is it God's will that you entrust your soul to your faithful Creator and you do what is right? We began with me sharing how it was not my will for Katie to run around with a wire coat hanger, not coat hanger, but fly swatter in her mouth. She had to drop it in order to take from my hand something that was in my will for her to have, a healthy treat. What in your life do you need to drop? a sin habit, an attitude of having been fearful or unwilling to suffer for Christ? What do you need to drop this moment, now, in order to take up His will? Now you know it. Will you do it? Complete this sentence. The rest of my time, I want to live for the will of God. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.